Aloha and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we take our favorite books down off the shelf, dust them off, and remind ourselves why it is we love them. My name's Tom Galley, and joining me today, we've got Tony Pasculi. Thanks again, Tom. Good to be here. Always a pleasure to have you. I suppose we might have been remiss in previous episodes. We should explicitly say up front, spoiler warnings. <laughs> we should say that. We oh, really my should. Guess. Yes. Uh, all of the books we've been talking about are um, not new, not fresh off the press, but still. All right, so this week uh, we're going with uh, one of my selections. This is J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Uh, I suspect many people's introduction to fantasy and certainly the opening to a, a larger realm of the entire Lord of the Rings series there. So. So uh, so you picked this one. Uh, I did, why, I did. Why did you pick it? Um, well, this is... There are just so many good answers to that. <laughs> um you know, on the one hand, the the Hobbit is just a fun read. Um, it really it's is. it's a, a good tale. It has an unlikely protagonist, um, and it's written in very accessible language. It's it's just a fun page turner. Um, and also, you know, for me, um, when I came across this um, was early high school, uh, and at that time, I was all about science fiction. Um, I had never really seriously stuck my toes into fantasy. Uh, and this, of course, you know, having read that, I, I couldn't start reading Lord of the Rings quickly enough. Uh, and having read Lord of the Rings, it just opened up, you know, that, that entire other genre there. So in addition to lasers and faster than light travel, I've now got wizards and magic and dragons to enjoy. Yeah, I think I, I ran into The Hobbit a little bit earlier. It was, I, <clears throat> I want to say, fifth or sixth grade. It's the first... YA novel I remember reading. Uh, back in my school, um, all the YA books were on a special shelf and only the seventh and eighth graders were allowed to check them out unless you had special permission from the librarian. And I found this book there and it's like, I wanted to read it. And like, no, it's too old for you. <laughs> I'm like, please, please. And because I was in a, I was in a special program that met after school and did special readings of certain books. They're like, oh, okay, well, you're probably, you can probably handle it. And it's like, come on, come on. It's The Hobbit. I think fifth graders and sixth graders can handle The Hobbit. So, and it was, and it was, like you say, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very accessible read. It is, it is much more forgiving than Lord of the Rings. And it, it has, <laughs> honestly, in terms of writing style, and, and it has very little in common with Lord yes. of the Rings. Yeah. You know, this is very clearly a book that's targeted for, for children and young adults. It like is. Children, actually. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's charming. Like you say, I, Bilbo is a wonderful protagonist. Uh, he really grows over the course of the adventure, which is, one of the things we're going to talk next week about a different fantasy book. And and one of the things I really noticed, because I read them in the reverse order, is how much agency Bilbo has in this book as a character. How much he is the uh, making things happen. He is the center of the action. He's not just someone who's along on a thrill ride, uh, but he's doing stuff and saving people and, and being a hero. And it's great. He, he really grows into the role. Yeah. Um, even if he never believes it of himself and never actually adopts the persona. Yeah. But you know, it's a, one does wonder, you know, when Gandalf first encountered this little portly hobbit sitting on his front doorstep blowing smoke rings on a spring morning, mm. what it was about him that, that said to Gandalf, you know what, I'm going to involve this unlikely person as the burglar for my 13 dwarves and their misadventures. That's a good question. I mean, first that Gandalf goes to a hobbit at all, and then of all the hobbits, 
why Bilbo? I mean, we know that Bilbo is has got some Tookish ancestors, and that makes yeah. him prone to adventure. Um, but why not go straight to a Took? Why not yeah. go straight to a Took? And, yeah. and, and again, <laughs> Bilbo himself had never been prone to adventure or misbehave in any way up until this moment. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know what it was that Gandalf saw, but I I certainly am glad that things unfolded the way they did. Hmm. You know, the the image of him puffing down the road and being upset with himself for not bringing a pocket handkerchief. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think that really sums up, you know, the dwarves initial dismissive attitude of him. I mean, I certainly would have had a dismissive attitude of him as well, I think. Certainly not of his larder, though, or his <laughs> hospitality. Yeah. So, so one of the things. So you said uh, this. This is one of your favorite books. Um, and I'm curious how many how many times do you think you've read The Hobbit in your lifetime? I'm I'm certain I have read it more than a dozen times. Wow, um, that's a lot of times. There there was a period of about ten years. Um, when as a Christmas treat to myself, mm-hmm. every year I would pick up starting with The Hobbit and work my way through The Lord of the Rings. And I don't know that I was faithful and did it every single year, but more years than not. So there, there's a span there where I know I was reading it regularly, almost annually. Um, and then certainly I've read it a couple of times before that. And I continue to pick it up now and again when I just want a good fun read. That's fascinating. So I don't want to get too much into The Lord of the Rings. That's a completely different series. And as you say, written in a, for a different audience and in a different style, I never found Lord of the Rings a fun read. Uh, but I do find The Hobbit a fun read. Um, and, and when you suggested it, I was like, oh, fantastic. That's one of my favorite books. And when I picked it up and started reading it, it's like, it has been a long time since <laughs> I've read The Hobbit. It's probably been 20 years. So it's a book I remember reading very frequently as a kid. Uh, when people said, hey, what's a good book I should read? I would say, The Hobbit. It's the best book ever written. But then <laughs> sometime, maybe with Lord of the Rings, it did it to me. Uh, sometime after high school, I stopped reading it. And I, it's one of those books that sort of stays in your memory because it's got so many cultural references. Mm-hmm. Played a lot of D&D in high school. Of course, D&D draws heavily on Tolkien. Uh, and then we had the whole Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, fantastic trilogy, which sort of kept the memory alive. And then the less successful Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> You're being kind. <laughs> <laughs> that, those are abominations. Those, yeah, they those really movies should be unmade. <laughs> They're awful. <laughs> they off, and they, they missed every meaningful point about the story. Yeah, I think so. You know, where, where the story is the evolution of Bilbo, of, of this diminutive little Hobbit into somebody that's carrying the weight and responsibility of, of the entire party and ultimately of you know multiple nations on his tiny shoulders the stupid movie's all about thorn oak and shield i know and and his lack of development as a character and the and the ring is important as the ring is and and it's interesting because in the forward to the edition that i read it says that tolkien after he wrote the lord of the rings went and changed the chapter with Gollum to bring it more into alignment with those books um so i've never read i think the original i don't know how much that's in there but Peter Jackson took that even farther, where the Hobbit movies are so much about, they're, they're filled with portent whenever the ring shows up on screen. And it's just like, oh, just let me en- enjoy this damn story that's happening yep. right yep. now without worrying about the one that's going to happen. You know, and yeah. don't pad it with all this <laughs> unnecessary stuff. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, not to get too far into to dissing <laughs> on the movies, but they certainly deserve a little bit of dissing. I they mean, do. you know, taking Radagast <laughs> the Brown, who is, you know, a, a mighty wizard and, yep. you know, devolving him into this feces-stained cartoon, yeah. cartoon <laughs> that's pulled around by rabbits on a sled. I mean, yeah. you know, Jiminy Christmas, that's just <laughs> awful. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, the bloat in that movie is is one of its many sins. Those movies, rather, yeah. I should say, it's one of one yeah. of their many sins, but certainly not the only. Yeah. But this, you know, I don't I don't know that I'd ever come across that, but I, I can totally see why he would go in and do a little retconning uh, to make this a better prequel. Although, in a way, it kind of doesn't matter because you know the the treatment of. Um, the trolls are a lovely example of this mm-hmm. um, when they encounter the, the trolls that, you know, are going to, to eat them. Um, uh, what are they named? They're Bill, Tom, and... Um, <laughs> They've got proper Bert. English names. Yeah. Right. Bill <laughs> Huggins, for that matter. <laughs> I won't take that from you, Bill Huggins, said Bert, and put his fist in William's eye. I mean, yeah. these, these guys are speaking in Cockney. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they're complaining... Other than the fact they're complaining about not being able to eat enough men, um, yeah. this is something that you could expect to hear, you know, on a, a bar after a hard day's work at the docks or something. Yeah. You know? So that clearly, you know, the, the language and the, the elves also, the elves in this book are silly, frivolous things who yeah. like to sing tra la la lally. Yeah. Um, those, so, they change pretty radically in character too. So the, the trolls were interesting. Uh, the trolls were a scene... It's one of the, it was interesting revisiting this book after so, so long because I thought I knew it and I, I found myself surprised frequently by how many things I had not remembered. Um, and the first big surprise for me was on the troll scene because I thought that it was Bilbo who was the one as the burglar who tricked the trolls into mm. arguing amongst themselves and staying up until night. And in fact, no, Bilbo promptly got himself caught and trussed up. And then when the dwarves came looking for him, they also fell into the trap. And it was Gandalf that saves them all. Gandalf saves them all. And, you know, and that's lovely because that encounter happens very early in the book. You know, it's the second or third chapter in the book when that, uh, that happens. And it shows Bilbo's incredible ineptitude. Yes. Um, and also the fact that even though he's aware he's um, not up to the task, he decides to try yes. and be a burglar. He decides to try and be what's expected of him. Yeah. And as you say, he promptly fails and is <laughs> trussed up. And Yeah. And, and that was initially disappointing to me. And I thought, oh. And then, but then as I read the book and it's more and more, and the, the dwarves continue to remain inept, but Bilbo gets more and more uh, heroic as the book proceeds. And he's, he saves them. Oh my goodness. How many times does he say that? He saves them from the spiders. He saves yep. them from the elves. He saves them from the dragon. Yeah. He so. saves them from themselves <laughs> in the battle at the end. Uh, yes. In the battle of the five armies. Yes. Yeah. So quite the hero. Yeah, and I think in many ways, well, again, this this is Bilbo's story, but I think in many ways he's the only character that notably evolves. Yes. I mean, you know, Thorne has the, the deathbed conversion, right? Yeah. Where because the armies and the battles are going bad, you know, he knocks down the wall and bursts out on the scene, to me, to me, elves and men, to me, right? And then he gets to lay there and make his last-minute peace with Bilbo before he dies. Yeah. Um, the elven king, you know, regrets that he treated the dwarves and Bilbo so shabbily, but that's it. I mean, we, yeah. we don't see anyone or anything grow, um, although the only thing we'd actually have the chance to see, I guess, would be the dwarves. That's the only people we spend enough time around. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're all, you know, even the youngest of them are in their 50s, you know, so they're yeah. pretty well set in their ways. There's so many dwarves. There, That's actually... Uh, in a way, it's one of the challenges, I think, that, that Tolkien sets for himself is that it's really hard to differentiate the dwarves when there's 13 of them. And he frequently pairs them up to dispense with them more rapidly. I mean, they have so <laughs> many pairs, Keeley and Feely and Owen and Glowen. Yeah, just it's like, yeah. oh, my God, it's too many names to list. It's like it's it's bing, bang, bop, boom, you know, just like 
get through them quickly. So they, the only ones that have any sort of differentiation to them at all are Thorin, who's the leader, uh, and and the fat one who's Bomber. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to throw Bomber in as another differentiable one yeah. if you if you yes. neglected that. Yeah. <laughs> so we have you know the leader. Yep. We have the fat one. Um, was it Keely and Feely are the two youngest and the best at starting fires? Yeah, uh, that pretty much stops where I where <laughs> I can track them. Uh, yeah. but it doesn't really matter. No, um, in in this thing um, because because Bilbo's the main character. Yeah, by far. Yeah, you know, it, I mean, you could for ninety five percent of it, you could simply substitute the words a dwarf. <laughs> a dwarf yes. said a dwarf did this. Yes, and I'll probably offend somebody who's a, a dwarf fan and yeah. you know, has a particular favorite. Yeah, this is just a. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to dissing on Peter Jackson here. Um, <laughs> he did such a nice job for the most part with the Lord of the Rings. Um, he, he committed a couple of sins. He committed the unpardonable sin of um, not including the return to the Shire, which hmm. you know I think should have been a fourth movie, honestly. But you know he he handled the material, the source material, fairly well without too many egregious sins. So when the Hobbit movies came out, um, I was so excited, and it's just one of those times that I have just you know been crushed by Hollywood yeah. um, sitting in that cinema, letting it you know and. And truth be told, I've never seen the third movie, and I never intend to see the third movie. Wow. The first two were ample to suggest to me that the two hours it would take from my life would never be compensated for. You know. So one of the things that I think watching the movies sort of distorted my memory of The Hobbit, and as I was going back through, like I say, it's been a while since I've read it, and, and coming back to it, I was like, oh, this is in The Hobbit? They meet with Elrond in The Hobbit? Mm -hmm. The Battle of Five Armies is in The Hobbit? Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. I think he plays a, a little bit loose with uh, Elrond and Rivendell, too. Uh, and again, you know, this, this was written for children, but the descriptions of uh, Rivendell and of Elrond, I think um, he probably might should have retconned that a little bit, too, <laughs> after The Lord of the Rings was done. Because it's, it's hard to look at the two books side by side and say this is the same character in the same setting. Yeah, yeah. But... But isn't, uh, isn't The Hobbit supposed to have been written by Bilbo? Isn't that the conceit? That is, in fact. This is an so, autobiography. So that excuses a lot because it's, it's, it's not what happened. It's, it's Bilbo's recollection of what happened. So, you know, yeah, it's going to differ from the objective truth, maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, I had honestly never thought to consider it that way. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of holes in that... that uh, structure and that we, we get an objective third-party view of um, mm. what is happening when Bilbo is not around, right? Yeah. We, we get to see a little bit of what the dwarves do, even though Bilbo is busily, you know, That's true. evading Gollum. Um, and in fact, I think that we get an intrusion of a narrator in a couple of places. We do, actually. We are directly addressed by the narrator um, on more than one occasion. And that was something I was... Uh, I didn't remember that being the case. <laughs> and, and I certainly have mixed yeah. feelings about that, you know, that struck me as a device, uh, I, I think YA has moved away from this, but it struck me as a device to make it more accessible to a younger audience. I think that's absolutely it. And, um, again, and that's the whole conceit of The Princess Bride, is that it's a story being told. Yeah, and so yeah. The, the narrator can shape your expectations. They say, well, and now this thing is going to happen, so brace yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose if we are talking about, uh, you know, if we go back to the, the premise that this is Bilbo's book, then he mm -hmm. could be choosing to directly address his readers. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe it's not 
It's certainly not unforgivable, yeah. uh, but it is, it seems out of place the handful of times <laughs> that it happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, it may not be Bilbo's book, but he, but Bilbo does at the end sit down to write a book with the same title, uh, or a very similar title. This, this one is, uh, The Hobbit or There and Back Again, or An Unexpected Journey, There and Back Again. What is the actual title of the uh, book? I think it's an, you have, you I was going to say it was There and Back Again until he said An Unexpected Journey, and I thought, no, it's An Unexpected Journey, isn't it? The Hobbit or There and Back Again. Okay. That's yeah. what it says on the title page here. And I think... I think Bilbo's book is called There and Back Again, An Unexpected Journey by a Hobbit. I don't know. I have to, I didn't make a note of that one. It's a very similar book uh, title, but just flipped around. Maybe if I flip to the last page of the book here. Nope. <laughs> it ends with them. Huh. There's a circularity here that I am just now picking up on. It ends with uh, Gandalf and Bilbo in the Shire blowing smoke rings. Oh, that's it nice. it started with Bilbo and Gandalf in the Shire, only Bilbo blowing smoke rings. Yeah, okay. Uh, in any case, Bilbo does sit down. Oh, there and back again, A Hobbit's Holiday. Bilbo was sitting in his study writing his memoirs. He thought of calling them There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Holiday. When there was a ring at the door, it was Gandalf and a dwarf. Yeah, okay. So a very similar title. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what more you could really want from this. So in a, it's again, it's accessible to on many levels. I mean, like as as we've said over and over, this is clearly designed to appeal to children, and yet yeah. you know both of us are, are slightly older than the average children <laughs> and, and still enjoying this book. You know, but I mean, it, it's got a, a lovely hero's quest. You know, with an unlikely protagonist at the beginning doing unexpectedly wonderful things throughout and there's yeah. no shortage of threats along the way you know this is like a well-run D campaign it's just yeah. you know heartache after heartache after heartache hardship after hardship after hardship it is it is a little bit episodic um but i think that's okay uh one of the things i like about it one of the ways it falls into the fantasy quest narrative very well is that because they have to travel so far to get to their objective to get to the uh the mountain uh, where where smog is lying on the horde, how do you, how do you say that word by the way? I say smog. You say smog. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I hear a lot of people LA, saying smog, yeah. and I'm like, mm, okay. Uh, but uh, so it's clear because the dwarves are so inept, and because Bilbo was such a novice that if the mountain were closer, they all would have died. Uh, <laughs> so it takes this journey. The evolution that you talk about happens along the journey. It's because he gets these measured obstacles, which he managed to overcome again and again and again. He acquires artifacts, the ring, the mail, the knife that aid him, but he also acquires a great deal of confidence and uh, ability. Yeah. Uh, and he puts all those to work. And uh, I would say a moral compass, which has not yet been tested in the Shire. Yeah. So yeah, Absolutely. And uh, there's a... Um there's a spirit of self-sacrifice attached to that that's just mm. completely, you know, something he would never have explored in the comfort yes. uh, of his own home, you know, with six meals a day. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's only by going on this journey that he is able to become the burglar that Gandalf wants him or expects him to be, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's also clear <laughs> that without him, the dwarves would have died many times over. Well, no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, and one of the things that always tickles me about this, and the book is self-deprecating about it, is they embark on this journey to take back all of their treasures and worldly possessions and gold 
from a dragon mm-hmm. without ever bothering to make a plan for dealing with a dragon. And in fact, in that first meeting in Bilbo's house, you know, Bilbo actually says, well, I'll get you there and then I'll sit on the doorstep and wait while you think of something to do with the dragon. When they finally arrive at the Lonely Mountain, they discover that it's inhabited by, as predicted, a dragon. And also that they have no plan for dealing with a dragon. Yep. And it's, and it's Bilbo that saves them again. Bilbo finds that, well, he doesn't shoot the dragon down. That's, uh, was it Born in the village? No, um, Born is the bear. That's Bjorn. Oh, Bjorn. Well, I say Bjorn. Maybe it is Born. Uh, I can't remember. Something like that. But it's, but it's Bilbo bard. who discovers his bard. Bard. Yeah. It's bard. Uh, it's Bilbo who discovers his weak spot. Well, yeah, but I mean, um, now at this point we're giving Bilbo a little too much credit. Um, you know, because <laughs> Bilbo is the one that triggers the dragon. Yep. Right. Because yep. again, he's trying to prove himself as a burglar. It's like, well, a true burglar would do something. In fact, I think this is one of those points where the narrator addresses us directly and said a true burglar would have actually managed to, you know, empty out the entire mountain hmm. uh, without the dragon noticing. But he turns, he's, he tricks the, or, you know, he trips the dragon, turns the dragon into dragon mode rather than sleeping on my treasure mode. Yeah. Um, the fact that the weakness in Smog's armor is discovered really doesn't have anything to do with... I mean, Bilbo reports it to the dwarves and is overheard by a thrush. Mm-hmm. And the thrush takes the initiative to fly down to Lake Town and whisper in Bard's ear. Yeah. Um, which, you know, very communicative birds. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. There's also a moment in there where uh, the dwarves are trying to listen to... I think it's a raven... Uh, and they're having a hard time understanding him. And one of the dwarves says to Bilbo, I'm having a hard time making it out. How about you? And Bilbo, <laughs> who speaks not a word at all, says, I'm having a hard time too, or something to that effect. Yeah, covering the fact that he's, you know, lacking in yeah. that. So, okay, so it's fair that Bilbo doesn't have a lot of direct agency there. But without his discovery, the thrush wouldn't have had that information right, to convey to Bard. So. Indeed, you know, he is the one that finds the intelligence, but yeah. he can't really take credit for the intelligence being applied. Yeah. Um, and had they played it out differently, well, who knows? I mean, yeah. if he had not stolen a piece from the dragon's hoard, then the book probably would have had to stop there. It would end with the dwarf sitting on the doorstep <laughs> trying to figure out what to yeah. do about a dragon. So now the consequences of that are extreme and a little bit glossed over in the book. Uh, they talk about, so the dragon wakes up and seeks his revenge on the men of Lake Town. Mm -hmm. And they talk about afterwards how they lost 25% of the population, but that's a single sentence. Yeah, 25% of the town. All of the buildings that were land-based, Yeah, um, all the bridges. And and this is actually something that bothered me a bit. The, The men of Lake Town, when they realized the dragon was coming, one of the things they did defensively was they cut the bridges between the buildings over the water and the, Mm -hmm. and the land. I don't think that Smog intended to <laughs> land and walk across the bridge as part of his devastation of the town. I don't see yeah. what difference that would have made. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Yeah. But at least they took action. Maybe it's that's like, all that matters. I think your defensive measure is leave. Just leave the town. That's, you have, yep, you have no defense against a dragon unless you know its weak spot uh, and unless you have, you know, uh, ground-to-air missiles. So, yeah. Yeah, or one incredibly skilled and lucky archer. With, uh, this was interesting, in a departure from the movie, or I should say the movie departed from the book. It's an ordinary, I mean, it's a black arrow, a lucky black arrow, yep. and an ordinary bow. It's not some massive thing. Yeah, that was one of the, one of many things that the movie uh, really offended me with, yeah. right? Because it was, you know, 
we don't know if it was magical or not, but it was simply, you know, you know, he addresses it, Black Arrow, you belong to my father and maybe his father before him. Always I have shot you, saved you for last. Always I have recovered you. Yeah. You know, so he likes the arrow. <laughs> we did that, you know, but we never find out anything more about it. Yeah. Um, I don't suppose it really matters. I mean, in the end, it did the job. But yeah, you're right. When they move into the movie, it becomes this uh, this mythical high-powered piece of, of artillery almost that's commonly yeah. known. Yeah. You know, everybody knows to kill a dragon, you need a black arrow. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lake Town's got some black arrows lying around and these, uh, I guess, scorpion is the proper term for a I think so, large yeah. crossbow like that yeah. to fire them with. I, I found the size of the weapon credible. I mean, uh, just, you know, a handheld bow is like a, seems inadequate to bring down something as large as a dragon. If I were doing anti-dragon defense, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and again, uh, the same thing in uh, Game of Thrones, right? Yes. Uh, I would yeah. definitely have massive siege-style engines mounted that could fire, you know, projectiles, which would skewer a mere mortal. Yeah. Um, but that's not what was given to us in the story, right? Exactly. This is a lucky shot by a yeah. uh, skilled archer you know, into a particularly vulnerable spot. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I enjoyed when Bilbo does confront uh, Smog under the mountain is um, is that he knows that dragons are tricky. And the narrator, this is another place where the narrator intercedes, this is how you have to speak to a dragon. Mm -hmm. You have to distract them with riddles and tricks. Uh, and he's already had some practice with that, with Gollum, uh, practice riddling, so he's developed some skill there. But he basically gives a name-saying speech uh, and namesaying speeches are, um, I don't know how much of a tradition there is in England. It's a tradition in uh, Japanese theater in the, um, in the kabuki that a character will come on and basically recite their lineage and, and accomplishments when they introduce themselves to the audience. Uh, it's a tradition in the Commedia dell'arte where a character called Capitano will come in and just, just rattle off his, you know, his, all the things that he's done. Capitano's usually lying because he's a, he's a buffoon. <laughs> uh, so it was fun. It was fun to have a name-saying speech from Bilbo where he calls himself ring winner and luck wearer and barrel rider, giving the dragon some crucial information that he didn't intend to reveal. Yeah, yeah that, that ended up... Although, honestly, where else would the dragon have, have turned in suspicion, right? I mean, they're, they're the only men in the vicinity. I yep. mean, there's the mountain and there's a charred circle of desolation and there's Lake Town. There's yeah. Lake Town. The next closest thing would have been the, uh, the elves citadel in the yeah. forest, I suppose. Yeah. They were a harder target. Yeah. I did find it intriguing <laughs> that under the shadow of the dragon, uh, civilization proceeded. Yeah, they, they gave it a bit of a birth. Mm -hmm. You know, we won't go over there close to the mountain, but you know, we're still going to live here in the shadow of the mountain. Maybe it's not as amazing as that. I'm living on a volcano. Yeah. Um, this particular one's not active, you know, but there, there are certainly people living on the active volcano within a, an hour's plane ride of here. Yeah, that's interesting. Now that you mention it, that, you know, there's not a lot between the mountain and Lake Town. So what was what was Smog feasting on? Or was he just sort of dormant? That is, is underrepresented. We know there used to be a city there, you know, yeah. at the very foot of the mountain. That's uh, the Dale, I think, right? The city yeah, of Dale, was it? I think it? so. Um, and this is one of the things that Bard is going to do. He's going to rebuild that city. But other but, than, you know, but there would be the closest source of food, about right? Smog <laughs> occasionally pillaging a, a piece of livestock. Okay. Um, I think that's a reference in there. Um, but it seemed to me that uh, basically Smog had been napping for the last 60 or 70 years. That must be. That must be. Because something, because birds eat, what, several times their own body weight to, to get the energy to, to stay aloft. Right, they're they're very high metabolism creatures, 
So mm-hmm. I guess dragons have a different fantasy metabolism. They don't need to eat as much. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know how dragons run. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, Tolkien doesn't get into details there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's relatively unimportant. Yeah. Right? The, the fact there's an area that's known as the desolation of smog, and apparently he yeah. keeps it desolate. Right? So at least he's, a, he's an attentive uh, groundskeeper. Yeah. So we were, we were talking before we started recording, uh, whoops, about uh, the insults that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that Bilbo was throwing at the spiders. Whoop. Cancel, cancel. Um, and he called, oh, what? I'm Old I'm Tom Noddy sitting in a tree. Old Tom Noddy can't find me. Addercop. Addercop. Yeah. Do you know what Addercop is? I assumed it was every bit as meaningful as Tom Noddy. No, I looked it up. And this is a real thing? It's a real thing. Addercop is short for Addercopus, an extinct genus of arachnids uh, known from flattened cuticle fossils from the Panther Mountain Formation in upstate New York. They are spider-like animals that are able to produce silk, but latch true spinnerets. So he insults the spiders <laughs> by calling them spiders? It's it's just well, strange. I don't understand why it's an insult, but it's fascinating that, that Tolkien... I don't. I don't know how. I don't know who this was meant for. I, it doesn't seem to be aimed at the spiders very effectively. It doesn't seem to be aimed at the juvenile audience very effectively. Uh, you know, they're not even extinct English spiders. They're extinct spiders from New York. So it's very strange. I don't know. Maybe it has another meaning, but that's what Wikipedia is telling me. So, yeah. Huh. I. I, I <laughs> Just, you know, imagining here at the spur of the moment, I'd like to think that maybe he had a professor somewhere along the way who, for whatever reason, used Addercop, was fascinated with the Addercops or even and, and used the word in conversation. It into this, this is and, a nod to that yeah. person. It's a lovely word, Addercop. It sounds like an insult, yep. you know, and it's got a nice rhythm to it. Uh, and I was just sort of took it in stride before. And then... And so I was like, no, I'm reading this on a Kindle. I'm going to look that up. What is that? I just took you know, both Addercop <laughs> and Tom Noddy as, as you know, nonsensical. Yeah. Um, they sound good coming off the tongue, but why should they mean anything? Yeah. Clearly, oh, one would question how Bilbo knows so much about spider culture <laughs> that he knew these would be such dreadful insults. Yeah, that too. Well, stories. <laughs> stories from the dark woods. Yeah. I really did enjoy reading this. It's been several years since the last time I uh, I went through, and now I kind of feel primed to uh, to pick up Lord of the Rings again in a couple of months. I I need to give Lord of the Rings another chance. I I only have read it once and in high school and for an English class, and so well that diminishes the joy just really, there. Well, it was a you know I enjoyed all the other, it was a science fiction and fantasy class. Um, and so we read a lot of great books that I did enjoy, but this one I wasn't loving. And despite the fact that I wasn't loving it, I had to power through because, mm-hmm. yeah. And that really, when I got to the two towers, I'm just like, oh, I cannot wait for this to be over. <laughs> uh, so I've never felt the urge to pick them up since, but I really should. Yeah. yeah there are relatively large chunks um, of that story that I always end up skipping. Yeah. Um, Tolkien really, really likes his deep description. Yeah. Um, you know, and after, you know, four pages of reading about how pretty the elves' trees are, I start doing <laughs> the flip, 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 looking for the end of it. Uh, and also uh, when we get into um, the songs. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Which I, are I pages long. And yeah. 
even in The Hobbit, I'm reading through these going, is there any story in here? Do I, am I missing anything if I just skip over all this italicized bit? And, and I think the answer, the answer is, is no. The answer is no. <laughs> um, it really is. And it, uh, you know, I make the same vow to myself every time I start this. And it's like, this is the time where I read every word. <laughs> uh, and, and inevitably it breaks down. Um, well, I'm actually thinking of coming back to it on audiobook. Uh, because audiobook I found, well, with Game of Thrones, this is a departure, uh, Game of Thrones, I read that first book, and I'm like, mm, there's some memorable moments there, but it didn't really grab me. Then I watched the TV series, and the TV series just brings it to life and made me appreciate how good the storytelling is in Game of Thrones. Um, and and then it's like, yeah, I remember that from the book. That was great. I remember that from the book. That was fantastic. But it just it has a different sort of pace to it. It just moves along so much more rapidly. Mm -hmm. It's very much more exciting. So I went back to it, and then rather than returning to the book, I listened to it on audiobook. And in audiobook, it's just the pace is relentless. You know, you don't you can't sort of wander off because it just so. And it it was one of the most exciting books I've ever read on audiobook. It's just, there's so much, it's hmm. so rich, it's so deep, the storytelling is so good. And and if someone's just feeding you the boring descriptions of mutton and and <laughs> stew, you know, in the in the whatever, it's just like, it's not as much, it doesn't feel like as much work somehow. Uh, and I found it thrilling, absolutely thrilling. So, huh. yeah. I have actually never listened to an audiobook. Really? Never once. It's, um... You know, not all books work on audiobook, and it really depends on your trans or your um, your narrator. And uh, but it's a, I think it's a great medium. And it the problem with it is uh, that it really takes a lot of your attention. And so you either have to sit still somewhere or be doing something. You could be driving on a commute. And if you don't have a commute, it's hard to mm -hmm. listen to audiobooks. But if you do, it's great. Or if you go for a long walk in the evening, it's a good time to get your audiobooks in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. All right. Sponsored by Audible. <laughs> Just kidding. We can hope, eh? <laughs> One of these days we might get a sponsor. I was kind of thinking of approaching the, the public library system here in Hawaii, but oh, we'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts on The Hobbit? Final thoughts. Um, no, I think that's, that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this, this is, you know, I've never actually ranked them, but were I to rank them, I'm pretty sure this would be a top 10 book for me. Um, and as soon as I say that, I start wondering if it's true. But this is this is definitely just a, say it. a, a, just a say perennial. It. Yeah, it's a top yeah. ten book for me, maybe yeah. even a top five. Um, this is definitely a perennial favorite. And uh, you know, I, I pick it up, and I all I can say is it's been too long since the last time I picked it up. I really had a good time reading this. Yeah, I would say it would be a top five book for me until high school, and then something happened, and I haven't returned to it since high school. I think, um, but now I am glad to because it's such a wonderful book. And I really enjoyed encountering it. And it had been so long that it felt really, really fresh in a lot of ways. So that was a good read. Okay. So what do we have to look forward in our next episode? Uh, next, we're going to tackle another fantasy book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. All right. We will see you all in two weeks. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.